What do motion pictures have to do with human consciousness? According to film historian and new media expert Randall Libero, a lot. When we watch a movie, whether romantic comedy, deep drama, or even documentary, are we tuning in to tune out, or are we staying conscious within ourselves and not allowing what we're experiencing with our physical senses take us over? These questions spawned a most intriguing discussion about the role of media and consciousness, and why now, more than ever, we must choose wisely the images that we allow to come into our lives. Well, today I want to discuss what I would call, Randall, two sides of the same coin, the benevolent and malevolent truths that come from film, primarily Hollywood film. You know, they say that shadow and light live side by side, thus part of the same coin. And, you know, we've seen a cornucopia of films that are message-driven, but some of these messages aren't necessarily visible to everyone. Some messages are delivered subliminally, and some are in your face if you're attuned to the deeper message. So we're going to go into all of that today on our chat. And I'm so pleased to have you, Randall, someone who's made film and media your life's work. So welcome. Thank you, Alexis. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let, let's get right into it because I know there's a lot of ground to cover here. Um, I want to start by talking about some of the more, shall we say, shadowy aspects of film. And these are messages that have been hidden. Some feel in plain sight in motion pictures. It's a big subject, and particularly with the Internet now being a hotbed for discussion about this subject, along with everything else under the sun, we're beginning to look at how Hollywood, it seems, has been notorious for embedding messages, agendas, plans for the future, etc., in film. Let's start with your comments on that. Well, I would say any conversation about motion pictures has to, be, has to begin at motion pictures beginnings itself mm -hmm. uh, as an art form and as a cultural phenomenon. So the first thing to be aware of is that uh, in terms of human consciousness, which is what I talk about, this idea of visionary entertainment, which is the era that we're moving into, which I'll come back to, is that when films began, they evolved out of photography and out of um, shows that were presented live on stage. Mm -hmm. So it was the, the next stage in terms of the, the evolution of storytelling, the storytelling process in, in society. So whether you look at it as a phenomenon of light and dark, as you know, as all things have both sides, you have to understand the context at which, you know, this evolution of what movies represent in terms of our culture and society, and again, the third part of that, which is what I talk about all the time, human consciousness, because the period that we're in right now is a cycle, as you understand from the indigenous people, in terms of the frame of time is not linear; it's cyclical. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So why are movies here? Why are we using them? What is their purpose in terms of the evolution of us as human beings? So if we stop for a moment and start, stop thinking about movies as, you know, let's go to the movies and it's, a, and it's a culture phenomenon, look at it from the larger perspective. Because it is an art form and the, pro and the process of art and society has a purpose and it has a direction. So again, Let's look at it from the from a little bit farther out, higher up, however you want to put that. So I'll start this conversation talking about the light and dark aspects of film and consciousness in terms of what they represent to us as individuals and as society and as an art form. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be kind of a long answer. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but but it's our, it's, it will give context to the rest of the, our conversation for the hour. Mm -hmm. So... From my perspective, we are in a time period 
Uh, we live in an unprecedented time of, ch of historical change in our world, especially also in movies in the motion picture industry. You know, the explosion of new technologies in the digital age has put the power to tell stories and distribute them to the masses, for me, back in the hands of the people. So originally, that's where they began. So if you look at it from the phenomenon and how people evolved using more advanced techniques in storytelling, you know, you understand what movies are beginning to represent in society, and now they've become, for a lot of people, they're an obsession. Mm -hmm. uh, because they, they're really, their lives revolved around films, which are really evolving around stories. And the stories that, that we're telling each other, the stories that we're telling ourselves, who we are uh, as human beings, where we're going, what is the future, who were we in the past. Most of this comes from the stories that, that we tell. And eventually, you know, they first came from, well, let me, let me go back to this point. Now, I have, a, I have a video that I'm about to post, which is a 70-minute interview where I get into all this. But let me give you this context. <laughs> Please. In the ancient periods of time in human history, I'm talking from the beginnings of human existence, people related to each other first from the self. In other words, the inner world. And then from that, it was the one-on-one -on -one relationships. I'm talking to you, you're talking to me. And that became expanded out into communities and tribes. And then from that point, it was the relationship of also to nature, the self to nature, you know, the world that we have around us. What is our place in it? What is our relationship with everything happening in the natural world, animals, plants, insects, everything. Mm -hmm. At the bottom of that, however you want to look at it, hierarchy, was media, artwork, sculpture, um, clothing, jewelry, beadwork, you know, things like that. They used this as beads were commodity. They were trade. I could buy this and give you these beads. So it was the artwork that we did, paintings, you know, and I'm not talking about paintings on caves. I'm talking about more advanced type of art because I have this thing about ancient, the ancient world. It was a very advanced culture, and that very advanced time period became collapsed. Mm -hmm. And now out of that collapse evolved our current age of history. So that's another thing to understand. So I'm not talking about stupid cavemen. That never happened, okay? Yeah. I'm talking about an advanced culture that fell and then were the result of that. So out of that period, art was at the bottom of this hierarchy. Today, that hierarchy is now flipped on its head. Media and artwork and things like movies are at the top. We're relating to each other, what, through our phones, through our devices, through our technology, we're telling stories, we're relating our lives through, through the media landscape, through this you know, technological you know, communication system called the internet and, you know, and mobile. So in order for human beings to evolve to their next stage of evolution, we have to understand the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. So to so some people, like what you're asking me, it may appear that it's a dark side of the, you know, the other side is dark. We're looking at this from, you know, well, movies are, you know, they're making they're all these even things like horror movies, and they're making people do terrible things. Well, if we don't explore this side of ourselves, we're never going to become whole. We have to understand the other side. So at this point in evolution over the past, especially the past hundred years, and movies have existed, because it's a mass communication system. I show a film, and I can have unlimited numbers of people watching it. Well, in terms of the history of storytelling, that's never happened before. So, mm -hmm. we, so we don't know where it's going. We don't know. This is a time of experimentation. It's a time of 
we're making it up as we go. I mean, technology keeps evolving faster than we can control it almost. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that this is the age that we live in. And if we step back and realize that our purpose is to understand how to use media with awareness and using the word consciously, uh, which, which I think has limitations in terms of your conscious and unconscious, because the opposite of conscious is I'm I'm sleeping, right? So consciously means I would say more in, in a more enlightened way, media in a more enlightened, more evolved, a progressive, proactive way where it's it's a tool that we understand both its limitations and its impact. Absolutely, beautifully said. Wow, you yeah. gave us a lot to think about there. I mean, yeah. just starting with the whole idea of the the ancient man which again so many assume that these were considered pre-literate you know uh you know hunter gatherers and that's all they did i disagree with with that philosophy and right, agree right. Or with yours and that there was this fall from consciousness but the the analogy not analogy but the trajectory that you describe of you know originally first you had the self looking at the self and then right. looking, you know, looking inward and then looking at nature, which to me is really just a mirror of the self. And then we got to media, uh, starting with art and sculpture, et cetera. And so I would consider that sort of a, I don't know, a top down or really an inside out where now it's outside and really trying to get back in, but through the outside. So there's a lot there to think about. Yeah. And movies themselves, you have to understand where they came from and how they evolved and how they're still evolving. I mean, now they become digital. Yeah. So the aspect of it, you have to understand that, that movies are still stories, whether they're a documentary or they're, you know, a dramatic film, it's still a story. And that's still what engages us emotionally. So when we go to see a movie, the first thing to be aware of is that you're going to see somebody else's story. It's not your story. It's not a story that you're agreeing to experience that story. You're agreeing to being told that story. I was at the uh, Illuminate Film Festival this past week, and I was talking to Peter Rader, who's the producer of Awake, which is the story about the movie and the life of Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm -hmm. And I said to Peter, I said, I want to understand what I'm talking about. The next time you're in a movie theater, just before the movie starts, be very present and be aware of what's going on around you. And here's what's, here's, here's, and anybody can do this, is if you are tuned into your own center, as the movie begins and the lights go down and everyone gets ready to watch the screen, if you don't have something happening on the screen before or it changes, you know, I like to do this for movies that there's just music, there's nothing going on on the screen, and then, you know, the lights go down and the, and the screen gets the images on it. That, I prefer to go to those theaters. I don't like the ones where there's too much going on beforehand. Right. Because feel what's happening in the audience's consciousness. Everybody shuts off the outside world. They forget their problems. They forget everything that's going on in their lives, even to what's going on maybe internally, even in their own personal health. They don't feel their body. And they totally, their attention is completely focused on what's going on in the screen and what's happening auditorially around them. Mm -hmm. In that moment, it only happens for several seconds. But if you're aware, you can feel the energy in the room change. So being aware of that, what I just described, realizing that you are in an altered state of consciousness Absolutely. when you're watching a film. Absolutely, you're yes. You're in an altered state of consciousness. And everyone else, if you go to a theater, is doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking about your problems or what bills you have to pay while you're watching a movie? No. Even at home this happens. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this thing that I do. I have, I have my right hand around my left thumb on my left hand, and I'm constantly squeezing it as I'm watching the film. It's keeping me present. It's keeping me aware of that I'm here. That is that I have a body. That I'm separate from the experience I'm seeing in front of me with my eyes and ears. Is I constantly do this throughout the film. Just a finger. I'm just squeezing a finger, and I do this. And when I don't feel it, I go, "Oh, I'm not squeezing my finger," which means I lost myself. I was all out of out of it for that period. And I do this. And the reason I do that is so I remain present. Interesting. So what you're saying, Randall, is that the choice would be to not be in an altered state. You want to continue to stay. Well, you want to stay focused, and, and but well, also present is that yeah, what you're saying? I want people to understand how to separate themselves from being having their minds sucked into the experience that they're watching. Ah, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know it's well known of course that, you know, and I want to get into predictive programming um and how media has often used what is called predictive programming to place people in that alpha brain state, which is the, the first level of an altered state. Um, but that's an interesting thing. You know, something else just occurred to me is you said you have this little exercise of squeezing your thumb as I'm doing right now. So I stay present, but I want to stay present and connected with you, Randall, not just, <laughs> so wouldn't that, would, just to play a little devil's advocate, wouldn't that seem a bit counterintuitive for the consciousness movement that says that we are really a continuum of everything, including the film that we're seeing? Well, that's true. But at the same time, uh, I think it's it's important for people to be able to learn a new skill. Okay. <laughs> to be able to experience something in media. Uh, and I would say this. When you go to a museum and you look at a piece of art, mm -hmm. unless you are really want to get focused, you don't get sucked into the art. You're still aware that you're in a room. Yeah. And that you're walking around, your feet are on the floor, you're sitting on a bench. And you're there, and you you can experience the art and feel what the artist was saying emotionally. At the same time, you're not losing yourself. Right. Why can't you do that in a movie? Yeah, very interesting. Oh, wow. We're going in a direction I hadn't expected, but I think this is huge because yeah. this really, you know, we're really going into a discussion about human psychology and all of the things that may have driven a, an individual to watch a program because they want to lose themselves. They don't want to be present. They want to get lost that's, and in that's that story. They want to get distracted from their life exactly. or what's ever going on in their life. So they go to a movie and the bigger, the noisier, the more explosions, the better. The better you got it. So, so there's an and, and there's there's a purpose to that because I will just as and as anybody else when I want that experience, I know that I want it and I'll go and have it. Right. Yeah. I'll go see an Avengers movie or go see a Superman or go see a whatever. Sure. If I want to have that, but I know when I'm done, I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. When I walk out, it doesn't. You know, whatever has happened in that film that I've given my consciousness over to that two hours or two and a half hours of course thoroughly enjoying it but then what i like to do is i'm usually with other people i very rarely go see any movie alone mm -hmm. uh, in a theater i always want to talk about it afterwards i want to gauge my experience with the other people that saw it because everyone has a different experience of the story depending on their past emotional history their mm -hmm. past psychological history and they bring different things to the story. So I'd like to hear what other people's opinions are. I very rarely talk about my experience. I want to hear other people's experience. Uh -huh. And this is even in my own family. You know, yeah. That's what I want to know. What did you get out of that movie that you 
learned something about something or you understood something. Because mm-hmm. the, the purpose of a film should be, and the filmmaker should be, is to is to relay a story that gives the viewer an experience of understanding something greater in terms of more wisdom, or is they're able to resolve a conflict within themselves, or become more better connected to another person or you know there should be something beneficial coming out of that story movies that have no benefit by watching them yeah. I, des- I despise them and unfortunately there are a lot of those there's a lot of those and i don't like and i don't recommend um i mean if there's anything that i hate in this world besides coca-cola is <laughs> is films is these terrible horror movies yeah that have I mean, absolutely no they thought. have no societal <laughs> cultural or human value to them Absolutely. Uh, whatsoever in society, except to basically give people an emotional roller coaster for an hour and a half or two hours, mm-hmm. uh, to basically taking their guts out and spinning them around and whatever. Those yeah. are the things that I despise about filmmaking. And, yeah. and, and the people who make those movies understand that whatever you create, you actually have to live out the karma of that. Yeah. Do they do they really understand that you think Randall? Do they understand the most, most of those people who make horror films are are somewhat asleep. Yeah, I would think if, so. If they did if they understood what they're doing and some people look at it and there's even people here in Phoenix who go out and they love making horror movies or that kind of a thing. I would say what's going on in their life psychologically and emotionally to be able to want to create movies that are about horrible things. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know, here's where I want to go with this, because, I mean, again, we could go in so many different directions, but I think I want to get into the programming aspects, the the mind programming aspects, because I think that's what we're dancing around anyway, you know, as you're talking about you're being loath to see movies that have absolutely no uh, value to the consciousness. And the idea that's you, and I agree with you, but it's disturbing to me that there are still so many people that want exactly that. And I've talked to people myself as I survey the crowd about reading books as well, the the genre of books that they're reading and the, the types of, I mean, we could talk about reality TV, that should give you a clue. And so many, too many, a disturbing amount of people are saying, I don't want to think when I'm watching movie i want to be uh entertained so i i want to do something i want to i want to quote somebody um that uh talks about this predictive programming and that i think has been used with that kind of public of you know that want to be distracted um and have been taken advantage of let me quote something to you this is a scottish author an alternative researcher named alan watt he had this to say about how predictive programming works in hollywood he says Hollywood is a magician's wand which has been used to cast a spell on the unsuspecting public. Things or ideas which would otherwise be seen as bizarre, vulgar, undesirable, or impossible are inserted into films in the realm of fantasy. When the viewer watches these films, his or her mind is left open to suggestion and the conditioning process begins. These same movies, which are designed to program the average person, can give the discerning viewer a better understanding of the workings and the plan of the world agenda, be aware. Your thoughts? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, that's a big conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I would say, I I, I always take it down to the personal, because everyone experiences a film on an individual basis. Uh And when you look at, when you start looking at what effect are movies having on society, that is a very complex um, conversation. 
Mm-hmm. I like to speak strictly from the self. I mean, I can get into the large, you know, things, but the larger, you know, context of what movies represent. But I would say this about what you just read. It's good to transform, and I think one of the most useful process of processes of, tra- of personal transformation is in the shamanic way would be called, you know, going into the, the darkness. Because mm-hmm. out of the darkness, you can bring light. That's right. And, and seeing films that are about hard subjects, like, you know, the film that Steven Spielberg made about, you know, the, the horrors of World War II and the concentration camps. Um, it's good to look at those things because it teaches us the extent of which what people are willing and able to accept. Mm-hmm. As far as the actions and you know things that happen in society and culture like that, for the purpose of that we are aware that that that's part of our human experience, and that to be aware of that we don't allow or prevent or oppose when things like this happen again. Here's a good example: um, when World War One happened in society, it was supposed to be the war to end all wars. Well, of course, we had World War II. So when World War II happened, the first thing that people wanted to have happen is, we don't want to do this again, so let's make peace with what's going on in Germany. So we avoid the situation rather than deal with it directly. Mm-hmm. If... You know, if we had done that, if, if society said, okay, this is going to happen again, okay, we're going to meet it head on this time, and we're not going to be woo-woo about it, and we're going to deal with the situation. And so I think some people had that attitude, uh, especially some of the European countries and dealing with, you know, what they saw, the rise of Nazi Germany, and they wanted to take that position. But in society, because the sting was so hard from the memory of what had just happened just shortly, you know, a decade before with World War One, people were resistant. They didn't want to go through that horrible time again. So they pulled back and said, let's just try to make peace and kind of smooth it over and make nice, rather than dealing with it directly. So having a film and having that shown to us in a movie or through photography or artwork, and artists do this all the time, is they make a statement to say that pay attention. Pay attention that this exists in our world, and if you see this happening, it must be it must be dealt with directly, not confrontationally, but directly. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of a, of a film that's dealing with a subject of horrible. But then, then of course, you can take it too far. And there's a lot of movies that take it way too far. Can you name? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Well, I think Silence of the Lambs took it too far. I will never watch that movie again. I don't want to go into that world in my own psychology again. Right. What do you think the filmmaker was trying to convey? If there was some, uh, you know, um, what do I want to say? If there was some pre, some agenda that that the the filmmaker wanted to uh, fulfill, what would be the that agenda in a movie like that well i think it comes down to i mean i'm sure um the people who made that film had had a reason for for making it and i think their reasoning was 
that these kinds of people now exist in our world and they have to be dealt with. And mm -hmm. I think that that was the point of that movie to say that because nobody could believe it. That's why the guy got away with what he did because no one could accept it. Mm -hmm. That it was really going on. Right. And so I think in terms of that film, which was of course done very expertly, that was the point that they were wanting to make that this this horrible situation in terms of the psychology of the human human being now these kind of people exist and we have to have you know law enforcement and certain you know punishments in place for for when these people happen or figure out a way to deal with it because now these things exist and i think if their if their if their purpose was to say that then i think yeah it was a worthwhile movie i personally will never watch it again Mm -hmm. uh, I got, you know, because I always like to watch the best picture film and, um, to see what, you know, why it was voted best picture. I'm always want to, because I'm following just what happens in terms of culture and movies and society and things like that. It's a, I consider myself sort of a film historian in, in a way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a film critic by any means of the word. And I, I, although I like a lot of guys who are and consider themselves film critics, I think they're, they have, they're, they're great. The great individuals um, uh, who who serve a wonderful purpose in society, the good ones, the good, good ones. ones, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, like Leonard Maltin and Roger Ebert and yep. Bob Osborne and people like that. Those are they're wonderful, wonderful people. I've met all of them, mm -hmm. and um, a film critic who really has high standards is you know is a is a great person to have involved in being a guide for us to say this movie's worth seeing and this movie isn't. Uh, and also, Mr. Malton is a wonderful film historian. I grew up on his books, mm -hmm. um, and I complimented him when I met him one day, and I said, I really appreciate the work that you've done in terms of documenting, you know, film history and the people who were involved in that. So, you know, I look at movies from a different perspective and, and, their, and their purpose in the world. And, and now, because we have this larger conversation about media and the purpose of media, because now everyone can make a movie on a device they carry with them 24 hours a day almost. That's right, yeah. And they yeah. can document what's happening right in front of them and then share that experience that what they're seeing in front of them mm -hmm. immediately to everybody everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, hence so, Right. So, <laughs> let's, again, let's step back from what I just said. So I can take my phone and shoot something that's happening in front of me, whether it be wonderful, whether it be horrible, whether it be an injustice in society, whether someone's being persecuted, whether it's uh, uh, an event that's happening in meteorologically or geologically or whatever, some news kind of event, or I can use it to prevent something from be somebody from being hurt or expose corruption or whatever these all these things are available to us now in a device that we carry around with us 24 hours a day mm -hmm. so here's what i say to that and and the same thing that i say to filmmakers young filmmakers as well you have a very powerful technology and right at your fingertips and you have a very powerful global distribution system you see the state of our world today that what's happening in it so with that power in your hands, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I challenge you <clears throat> to understand that you now have this power and to be responsible for that understanding. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a, that's quite the uh, challenge. Uh, we could go off on a virtual tangent on that. Um, maybe you and I can talk offline about a story that I just yeah. wrote tethered to technology if we reach the point of no return, but that'll take us in a whole other direction. You know, Randall, I want to really, maybe on the back end, we've got about a half hour left, uh, talk a little bit more about the the uh, media convergence and new media and that power, um, because you have a lot to say about that. And needless to say, you have been a trailblazer in this whole movement. So I do want to spend some time on that. But I want to, <clears throat> I, I still want to kind of keep us on point here with just really trying to sleuth, if you will, I like to use that word sleuth or hammer at, chisel at, what these messages in film are doing, if anything, to shape consensus. Because I think that is very, very key. And responsibility of the viewer to understand that that may be happening will come into play here. Um, so if, if I may, I really I kind of want to stay on that point, and then we're going to kind of morph into uh, what you had started making some fantastic statements about with new media. You know, you and I have spoken offline about the motivations of various filmmakers. We're, we're kind of staying on this point, screenwriters, producers, and, and what might drive these people to want to put out various tidbits of information in film, whether it be about the E.T. phenomenon, upcoming events or future social conditions, the paranormal or even the true nature of reality itself. And these things aren't neither bad nor good. It's just information, things that might be known within, uh, you know, some corridors of, of, of film, not just film, but people that have information that want to embed these things. Uh, would you say they're all coming from the same motivational standpoint? And I know that's another loaded question. No, they're not. Yeah, elaborate. <laughs> well, uh, then we get we're starting getting into the um, uh, the area of, of what people label as conspiracy theories. Yeah, which mm, you know it's let's let's put it this way: um, everyone who's done their investigation, who's at least has their minds open, realize that we live in a society that is highly controlled. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in media, especially here in the United States. Our media today is, is actually dictated to us through large entertainment conglomerates. And that goes down all the way to the point of what you see as news or as what's masqueraded as news on your television. That's right, yeah. And I always tell people, and here's a rule, here's my one rule of thumb in terms of if you're going to watch, if you're going to subject yourself to watching a local newscast or even a national newscast, is simply this. Separate the facts from the story. Mm -hmm. Most news is opinion today. Somebody's opinion as far as what goes on. And I'll give you a real good example. Mm -hmm. September 11th. <laughs> Just a little story. Yeah. 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 Well, supposedly, planes, whether they had people in them or not, we don't know, hit buildings. What we saw on television may have not even been what was actually happening. What we saw on TV may have even been special effects. And from what my investigation, it sure looks like it. Mm. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, there's been, there, and that's, this is not just me. This is the people who've done the work. They've analyzed the, tel the videos. They've analyzed, I mean, down to the smallest degree. So what we were showing on TV, in terms of what I saw that day, what was staged for us, and it was staged, if you've seen a piece of video from England, you saw that they're talking about Building 7 going down, and behind them is Building 7 on the video. Oops! And then, they, and then they cut the video. So a lot of what we saw on television on September 11th was staged. 
A lot of people are going to take issue with that, but when you do your investigation, you'll see that I'm right. Well, yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing, mm -hmm. because what we see on TV, of course, remember you're watching something that people are very skilled at manipulation and showing you the, what they want you to see, not what's actually happening. That's right. Okay. So realize that, of course, okay, let's just take it then straight online that something happened in New York, obviously. It was real. I mean, the World Trade Center ain't there no more. Okay. So something happened, whether it was a, you know, a missile that were explosives, whether it was some space laser that dematerialized the building. I mean, who knows what the heck it was? I mean, I don't know, and I, I'm not interested to know. What I do know is that a building was demolished, and people got hurt, and some people got killed. That all happened, whether it was planes that hit it, did it, who knows, whatever. But what we were told was that planes hit buildings and that we were being attacked by Osama bin Laden or some terrorist, whatever. So right there, we've got a story and we have facts. The facts were something was happening in New York. The story was who did it and why. Yeah. Separate that's the it. Separate the facts from the story. Right. And start with just that. Like I said, whether there are people on those planes, whether, the, you know, that's a whole other thing. Just mm -hmm. look at it as this is going on. This is where we're being told what we're seeing. Right. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stop there. What we're seeing and what we're being told is two different things. So if I'm seeing something happening on video, and which is live, okay, and that's being fed live, supposedly, the first thing to know is that, am I really seeing a live video? That's right, yeah. Is it somebody <coughs> playing something back that's been created for me to being told to be with a graphic up there that says live? Well, mm -hmm. is, is it? Is it, right, we're still subject. Is it live? Yeah, accepting that it's live. And I've heard that there, not only heard, you know, in some of my experiences in television, we know that there's typically a, at least five to ten second delay sometimes in uh, supposed live uh, broadcasts. Yeah. And it, just bl it blinks, you could have something that starts off live, and then it blinks and shreds, and then the television network could actually roll in a pre-recorded tape. Absolutely. And keep the live up there, and you don't know the difference. Right. Wow. Well, of course, that's a big subject, and I have a lot of opinions on that. So, I, when yeah, you're yeah. aware of what the technology can do and how it works, you're aware that what you're seeing is simply what's being shown to you. Right. Yeah. The only way to know is to go there. Here's an example. Now, years ago, I used to work for the branch of the U.S. State Department in their... Um, part of there which dealt with um, well let's put it this way it was the U.S. Information Agency anybody can look this up USIA was disbanded in 1999 and part of that was uh, a broadcast to Cuba called TV Marti okay which is basically a propaganda broadcast aimed at dethroning Castro and his regime so things like that go on within our government so I was in this International Broadcasting Bureau just to give you an example so here's the kind of things that happened. Now we had to cover what was going on in the news, right? and it was translated into Spanish. So when we, myself and my supervisor, we did work, I ran this, this media facility, which included videotapes, and we'd follow the news and we, we'd pull the stock footage that goes with the stories. So I'm looking at, and I had a, secu you know, I had a basic secu security clearance, 
but we could look at, and I couldn't do this myself, but we'd look at and get reports on what's happening in terms of, you know, from the diplomatic corps, what's happening in the embassies around the world. So we'd see this story happening that's being reported on the news. And then I'd go over and say, okay, well, in this embassy, in this country, in Malaysia, there's people who are at the embassy and there's a big demonstration going on. Then I'd go over and look at the embassy communications and what were being given on paper, and none of that was happening. Mm -hmm. Nothing was going on. It was completely calm. Wow. Yeah. So if you're there, you know. If you're not there, you're only being... You're only hearing what someone is telling you about it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And obviously the majority of the people that are basing their entire worldview on news and other forms of media are, are getting it based on the story and not the facts because they were not there. Right. They so here, right. So here's another simple <laughs> example of something that if you're paying attention, okay, on the morning of September 11th, I came in, and they got me right on. I got in just before 9 o'clock, and they're like, get get on this. So I was covering the Pentagon. And we're going out, and this is major news browsers. We're all putting up information. Everyone's getting what they can get. And I had to write something on the plane crash uh, at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. So now, think the first thing in my head is, oh, there's a plane crash. So we've covered plane crashes before, a lot of them actually, and horrible ones. And what happens in a plane crash? You have, you know, you have wreckage. You have explosion. You have fire. You have people that are hurt. You have ambulances arriving. You have all sorts of EMT stuff going on. You know, think about it. Plane crashes in a city, what does that look like in your head? All of that. When I'm looking at what's going on, what they're showing us in the video, first of all, all I'm seeing is people spraying water in a building. Yeah. Wow. Where's the plane? Where's the people? Where's the ambulances? Where's the, all the stuff? Because my news director comes over and says, have the ambulances ambulances arrived yet? And I went, no. He says, well, what are they showing you? I said, well, they're showing this guy spraying water in a building, and this guy's talking on camera, and there's reporters around him. He's saying, well, where, what's happened to the people? Are they are they being, are there, are the have doctors arrived there? And I went, they're not showing any of that. So mm-hmm. he said, it's a plane crash, right? And I said, that's what they're saying. But that's not what I was seeing. Right. So right there I'm going, I'm thinking of the line from Shakespeare's Hamlet, something's rotten in Denmark. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, what the hell is this? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. right then, right at that moment, right when this happened, I'm thinking, what the hell am I looking at? Right. Well, obviously this is not, you're not the first person. There have been, there have been yeah. a litany of people at this point that are starting to question the the the, the you know uh, official story versus what they actually saw or what they sensed did not happen so this is a I, I have a feeling this conversation is going to go on for years and years to come well yeah, until, until, right. until the situation is dealt with yeah and the thing is it's not just 9-11 Randall we're talking about I mean when you start to understand that this is what's going on that there is indeed a constructed reality that's beamed from these these uh, projected uh, devices TVs and otherwise uh, you never look at any story the same way and nor should you so we're not just talking about 9-11 we're talking about many people are talking about the Boston Marathon and what really happened there and and talking about um, 
oh my gosh, any any event that you could think of, the Malaysian Airlines flight for for the well, disappearing well, flight. I, I'm going to stop you there. Let's not go in this direction because really, what this what this is, is. what this is telling us yeah. is that we have to find time in our lives to mm-hmm. detach ourselves Absolutely. from this media world that we live in. Turn off the phones. Turn off the television. Turn off the computer. And go out into our nature, natural world, hopefully with your shoes off, so you can make yes. a, a connection to the earth. Love it. And sit out there, put your butt on the ground, and that is the only way that you'll know what the heck is really going on in your life, is to, is to get focused on what's happening internally. Because that's where, and this has happened, and this is what we're being told by all the masters of, of you know, spiritual world and all this, is that wisdom comes from within. doesn't come from without. You're not going to get it from your phone or your TV or from a movie or from any of these other things. Now, there are people, going back to the other question you asked me before, there are people in the entertainment industry and in motion pictures who do this, who do what I just described. They are people who are ruled by their inner world, and they are working and making films. Uh And there's a good number of them doing that. I love it. Great. I, I met a whole bunch this past weekend at the Illuminate Film Festival. Mm-hmm. These are people who want to make films that affect the world in a highly positive way and that remind us of who we are as human beings, as, as, as spiritual beings having a human experience. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, realize those people are in everywhere. They're in our government. They're in the Pentagon. They're in the motion picture industry. They're in the broadcast news industry. Absolutely, they're everywhere. We're everywhere. And this is a consensus that's building in our world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the whole the process of when like the the awake movie with Yogananda that I just saw, um, that when this these ideas these philosophy these this ideas about the spiritual dimension of our lives and existence came to Western society, it shifted society in a way that was extremely profound, and now the things that you know what we looked at just just within the past few decades as you know, weird and woo-woo and cuckoo and all the other word labels that you want to put on to what was just a few years ago called New Age has now become mainstream, but it's become expanded in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. Now, I started the Seventh Wave channel on Voice America Network to basically have people who wanted to have the conversation about this time period in our history, about what they're experience of, experiencing, a way for people to have a radio show they can come on and talk about it. Mm-hmm. That was the purpose of why I started Seventh Wave. That was a thought behind it. And the idea of Seventh Wave, as I wanted to throw out all the old languaging and create new languaging about transformation, visionary, you're extraordinary, all this, to give people these messages. So in my own process, I created a radio channel that did exactly what I, what I thought me- was possible for a media channel to do, which was to create positivity, create expanded awareness, you know, all those things. So there are people in media in all forms that do this. Mm-hmm. And motion pictures as well. So if you see a movie, and I could say, you could have a movie like Captain America, the new Captain America film, talk mm-hmm. about what's happening in our political system. I think it did a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, think, I think it reflected back to us as saying, hey, Look at what's going on. These things are happening in our world today. And look at what's possible. So it showed us a scenario of a future that we don't want. Right. 
So that was an interesting way of bringing it about. Well, look, I mean, I'm glad you've transitioned into this, and this was my, my plan, and the time is, is flown away. We still have a little bit of time. But now we're basically talking about the other side of this two-sided coin, which is the benevolent side. And I couldn't agree with you more. From the moment you switched gears, I was nodding my head and, and, and smiling broadly in terms of shutting down the technology for starters periodically and, and, and sitting your butt on the ground, hopefully with their, or standing up outside with your shoes off and, and feeling what, what it is that is innate within us anyway. So I'm glad you've taken us in that direction. And I couldn't agree with you more, Randall, in terms of this movement of light that is also, as I talked about in one of my chapters of my book, Dichotomy of Consciousness and the Precipice of Change, that the two are heightened. Both the darkness and the light are kind of sharing the same space, but certainly the light cannot be ignored. And I agree that there are people in virtually all industries that are using this wonderful tool, because media is a tool, to bring out those messages as well. So they're both sort of heightened at this point. And I think people are kind of naturally gravitating to that, which is really a reflection of who they are. So, um, you know, we talk about great films like Quantum Communication, of which uh, David Sarita was involved in, The Secret Life of Plants, which I th I'm going to watch again. I think it's a phenomenal documentary. Those things are as well getting uh, airplay now, and we have more uh, opportunities and more ways in which to, to watch them. So I think that's great. I want to talk about your project, which is Spirit, the Spirit of Film Conversations. Tell, tell us about that, where that came from, the inspiration for that, and where that is now. I wanted to do a radio show about movies mm -hmm. because, you know, I, that's kind of one of my passions is, is film storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be different. I didn't want to be a film critic. So I decided to just talk about how movies and media are changing the way that we think, live, relate, and dream. And what does that look like? So at spiritoffilm.net is a blog which contains links to, links to radio shows. So I wrote around th what the conversation of the show was, and I posted a number of things on that site, at spiritoffilm.net, which I saw happening in media over the years. I started it in 2006. I ended in 2011. Uh, but I'm still posting things on there. It's just a blog. It's just my, my blog right now. I think it's great. I was just there. Yeah. I love it. And uh, yeah. recently, for everyone who's listening to this program, my most recent post, uh, which I posted just before I went over to the Illuminate Film Festival, is an essay which I call A Perspective in Our Emerging Age of Visionary Entertainment. I believe as you read that essay, it talks about where we are right now and where we're going. Mm -hmm. So I hope everyone will at least go over to the site and read that post and think about their relationship with media. Mm -hmm. And then really kind of step back and, and have a conversation about it with yourself first and then of course get other people to read it and of course anyone who's a filmmaker or involved in television or internet media in some form I hope they also will read that it's mostly about the entertainment industry mm -hmm. but it's also about you know about filmmakers because I wrote it for the people at the Illuminate Film Festival conference like I said it, in order to find solutions to today's issues we need to evolve and we need to evolve quickly Absolutely. So our, and this is what I say in the essay, I'm just reading here. So our global mind created these technologies that allow us to take a leap from where we've been into a greater understanding of, of who we are as human beings and our relationship to the universe. 
So this period in history in terms of the use of media, as I said, is a cycle as I began this conversation, is ha which has happened before. The Renaissance was another time period that is the same experience that we're having now in society. The birth of the scientific age, the uh, explosion of artwork, which mostly, if you look at classical art, is geared towards the enhancement of the human experience and our understanding about ourselves and, and many, many things. The beauty of the world, the beauty of nature, the harmony that's in our world, that's classical art. So now we get to play around with circuit chips, you know, computer chips, and we get to do this with more advanced tools, tools which allow us to interrelate with people all over the world instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So this is a challenge. So if we understand how to, how to navigate this journey through this challenge of using technology, I believe that we will find solutions using technologies to, to the problems that we have of right now in our world to have a better future. Inventions today are, can be communicated you know, very quickly, very easily, and the, the ability for inventions, uh, innovative inventions that help the world to get out there very quickly and get and the people communicate them. Here's a good example. On my Facebook page, I posted, I think, one of the best ideas that anyone's ever come up with in the past 50 years, this thing called solar roadways, about putting solar collecting technology in our highways, in our streets. Mm -hmm. So everything is generating power everywhere. That's space that can be used. I think it's a brilliant idea, and it has, you know, you can put a uh, this technology in a road, and you can keep ice off of it, so people aren't having car accidents. You can heat the roadway with with using the sun. You can put lights in the road, so if an animal walks across, it'll light up, so you don't hit the animal. Mm -hmm. It'll get you can put messages on there on the road, like "Hey, danger ahead," and they don't have to post signs. You'll be right in the right in the road. So the applications for this are profound. Of course, we can, and if we put these all across the country, we could generate three times more power than we use right now in our in our in, their, in our country. Mm -hmm. So where is where is the consensus to do this? Well, it comes from using media technology like the internet and like social media to get our political leaders to get on the stick and get this stuff out there and has it been presented in that has oh, it been presented oh yeah in? politicians yeah. are getting behind this it is really beginning, yeah it's, that's it, refreshing it, it's beginning to build a consensus and it's because that people have been talking about it and using internet media and internet videos and they they're say hey why don't we have this i want mm -hmm. i want some of this where can i buy it mm -hmm. you know, so, so that creates manufacturing creates jobs cre you know these are the kind of things that yes this is this works for us in all sorts of ways so that's when our system has to say, we have a consensus that we want this to happen and exist in our world. That's when you get on your phones, you get on your social media, you communicate that, and you share stuff out there, and you reshare it, and you reshare it until the consensus builds for these positive things to occur. That's mm -hmm. where you're using media consciously. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Well, I've used this analogy before, and I'll, I'll certainly use it again. Technology, if we realize it is simply a neutral tool that can be used in any way we like. I use the analogy of water. Water can 
uh, cook your food and and uh, quench your thirst or can drown you. And fire can warm your home and cook your food or, or burn you. It's how it's used. So consciously using technology. And you have been so dedicated to the, the idea of uh, consciously tapping the Internet is, is where we're going to really make uh, leaps and bounds in our, in our human evolution. So I, I salute you for your diligence in reminding so many that uh, technology is a wonderful thing and what we call new media uh, can be leveraged for, for absolutely positive things. That's, that's great. That's great. What's next for you, Randall? I know you have so many different things going on. I know that's a well, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to work with, of course, um, my radio hosts and, and building their shows and building their followings. You know, that's what I do professionally. Uh-huh. Um, but I have in the planning stages a, a short uh, dramatic motion picture feature right now. Wow, that's um, And um, I'm moving into the space to actually, again, as I wanted to when I was in, first in, in my entertainment career professionally, is to make films. So now I had a, have an idea with a friend of mine who works in the effects world, special effects, and we're coming together to um, create a movie that we came up with 30 years ago. And we're going to do something in it that, as far as I know, has never, ever been done before in a movie. Mm-hmm. which is to use the soundtrack to give people an experience of being in a sacred ceremony. Say that one more time. Give, to use sound within the sound of the film to actually recreate an experience for people to be in a sacred ceremony while they're watching the film. So it's a we have a part of the film has to do with an ancient musical instrument that was a very common tool that was used, psychoacoustic instrument, that was it's it's sound using sound that was using different octaves and different tones and then when you do this it actually the ancient uh, peoples used them to travel and navigate in the spiritual dimension mm-hmm. so what we're going to do is we're going to have the characters do this in the film and the audience will experiencing it as if they're they were there and involved in the real thing so we're talking about a virtual sacred ceremony yes I love it. I love it. So it's pushing the envelope of what's possible, and we're going to, to actually photograph it in like Monument Valley and Chaco Canyon and places like that around, so it has a big background. It's a dramatic film with a story and with characters. It's not a documentary. Uh-huh. And um, it's about uh, two guys that go on an adventure, and we follow them, and they go to these places, and we're thinking of releasing it in IMAX. Wow. We're not I, sh- shooting an IMAX movie. We're shooting a high-resolution digital movie. Uh-huh. We're going to release it in IMAX because we want people to have the, the big visual along with the sound. Okay, okay. And when do you expect this to be ready for the audience? Um, sometime within the next two years. That sounds fantastic. Don't over-talk it. Just get to it. Now, you know what they say. If you talk yeah. it, you... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love it. I think oh, that's... We've already shot. So we're already doing things like shooting, shooting, doing tests with... Um, with using drone cam cameras on drones flying up in the air, so we'll be able to do aerial shots. That's uh-huh. all possible now. You can get of your own aerial is. shots. You don't need a helicopter anymore. You can do it do it from a remote remote control drone. And yeah, yeah. And, and get those shots. So here's another thing. You know, about a lot of people talk about, hey, the drones are spying on us. I always say, heck, we're filmmakers. We can spy on them. I, that's right. I was just <laughs> going to say, you know, when you say the word drone, that's another one of those, you know, for the conspiracy. Yeah. 
laughs, you hear the word drone and you immediately have a negative connotation. But here is a way, once again, yeah. where we can take a, a, a tool of technology and use it for a fantastic experience. So right. kudos to you on that. So, That's yeah. So if I ever found out that anybody was spying on me, I'd find out where they are and I'd put a camera up in a drone and spy on them. <laughs> there you go. I find love out it. what they're doing. I love it. If we wanted to get into these spaces where people are doing stuff that we don't agree with or whatever, you know, like I said, we're filmmakers. Right. <laughs> we can we, we have our own equipment and we can you know, we can use it as we as we desire. So there you go. And there you go. And we can protect, wow. we can maybe protect ourselves by doing that. Yeah. Well now we're talking about a whole other dimension that I think you might have your hands in before you know it. <laughs> Randall Libero, where do you live online? Where can people find like everything about you? Well, just <laughs> I would say um, the site we mentioned, spiritoffilm.net, of course my personal site, which is just my name, but a dot com after it, randallibero.com. Okay. Um, and just if you just want to find out other things that I'm involved with, just stick my name in Google and there you go. And there you go. You probably about, what, two, three billion hits will come up, right? Well, yeah. Well, I'm actually going to be posting the 70-minute interview that I did. The, the first part of that is on my site now that you can see where I started talking about some of these things which I've covered today about the hierarchy of our relationship with the world. That's one of the things I mentioned in that first part one. And then I go into many other things, and, and I tell stories about movies and some of the personal things that have happened to me with, with my own experiences with film. Uh -huh. And um, just, to, you know, more about the idea of what's happening in the broadcast industry and news and everything. There's it's got a whole 70-minute interview about that, uh, which I call Visionary Media and the, F and the Future. So that'll be, that'll be up in probably the next 30 days. So okay. if you want to watch for that, either I'll, I'll be posting it on all, the, all my sites online. You can see it on, it'll be on YouTube. I'm putting it up for free because okay, I want people to get this information. Excellent. Well, we're obviously going to make sure to have all of your relevant uh, sites linked up to this interview. And I know that whether you are a veritable film buff or not, you will find plenty uh, from from this gentleman named Randall Libero, who has got so much to to share with the world uh, through the eyes of a filmmaker. Randall Libero, thank you so much for your time and as always for your wisdom. And I love talking to you. You're so easy to talk to. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> Well, Alexis, this has been a real pleasure. It's been an opportunity for me, again, to put this message out about the potential to understand that we live in this age of visionary entertainment. And if we focus our media efforts and our consciousness in a way that's, that's fulfilling, that's enhancing our lives and improving them, then that's – if I get people just to understand that much, then as a, as a media professional, then I've done my job. Well, I think you've done it well, and the pleasure has been mine. Thank you so much, Randall. Thanks, Alexis. Both shadow and light have a critical role to play in the way we view film, and it is with this perception that many ancient peoples understood the benefits of both in all aspects of life. With more choices than ever to view media as well as create it, we can certainly choose which side of the veil we wish to partake. Fortunately, with these choices, the emergence of conscious media is now being given a starring role, and with this burgeoning trend, we now have the opportunity to allow that which we take in through our eyes and ears expand our consciousness rather than repress it. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Conscious Inquiry. Until next time, I'm Alexis Brooks.